0: Well, good morning, Redemption Peoria. That is, an, that is by far and away, like by far and away, maybe the best welcome I've ever had in any Redemption congregation. There, there is something to this West Side thing. Good job. Very, very good job. Hey, um, as Christians, if you are in this room and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's been said that we are called... To be God's people in prayer at the places of the world's deepest needs. Let me say that again, because that's a quote worth memorizing. Um, It's a statement by a man named Tom Wright. We are called to be God's people in prayer, oftentimes I'll add to that, and in presence, at the places of the world's deepest needs. We're going to pray this morning for Aleppo, Syria, which is uh, kind of in the northwest corner of Syria, and if you open up a news app of any kind or open up any news feed that you have or paper, you'll see there's horrible, horrible things happening there right now. I just saw something this morning that said Aleppo is the place where children no longer cry, and it's a picture of a young boy that's been been in the midst of a bombing, when I say young, like one and a half years old, and he's just totally in shock. And he's got dust all over his face. So we want to pray into that place right now. And we'll pray for that. And then we'll pray for our time in the Word. And then we'll get started in Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you. And God, we thank you that you are a God who prays when we don't have words, that when there are groans too deep for words, that Christ intercedes on our behalf. So, Jesus, we pray that you'd be praying. For us on behalf of Aleppo, and we will do our best with words right now, Lord have mercy upon this place. Bring forth justice, bring forth peace, let the true message of Christmas, salvation, come to that place. Uh, God, we ask for it. And as we sit here uh, right now protected, uh, many of us not having a huge concern, anything like there, Uh, Show us the true meaning of Christmas, God. We want to hear it, so give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts uh, that are willing to respond. God, we love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I highly recommend you grab a Bible um, and get it. So if you have an app on a phone or you have the ability to get on Google, type in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through verses 38, Luke 2 verses 22 through verses 38. Otherwise, open up a hard copy Bible and we'll get started. I want to start by saying this. We are one week away from Christmas in a season the church is historically called Advent, which means waiting. My kids are thrilled about Christmas. But I want to tell you in advance that I personally have a problem with Christmas. Now, I know a bunch of you, Have problems with Christmas as well. Uh, One of it, one thing, may be the stress of it all, the reality that you haven't gotten your presents yet. Um, For the kids, it's the fear of they may not get what they want. My problem with Christmas is this: my problem with Christmas is that I have a problem with the Bible. Christmas is where we get the biblical is where we get the Christmas story is from the Bible, and I have a problem with the Bible. Here's my problem with the Bible, and I want you to listen, because my bet is the majority of you in this room have a problem with the Bible as well. The Bible is not told from the perspective of those who are at the top. Now, I'm not what you would consider a rich individual. I didn't necessarily grow up super rich. My father was a public school teacher and coach my whole life, My mother worked as an administrator in offices. She just did the administrative work in different kinds of offices from a dentist to different businesses. So we weren't wealthy, but we were around a lot of wealthy people. And I grew up in a two-parent home that was very loving, that taught me the importance of education, that showed me the importance of love, and they connected me to a network of people that helped carry me on. One of those things that happened with that network of people is it made me a better baseball player. I showed up in Phoenix, Arizona to play baseball at Arizona State. That connected me to a whole other network. And so now as an adult, I've learned social skills. I have understanding in a very real way, opportunities are at my fingertips. You've heard it said many times before that if you go look for a job... People will say, when you go look for a job, it's all about who you know, right? It's all about who you know. I was given networks. I live in a country that they would say is the wealthiest country ever to exist, has the most privileges ever to exist in the history of the world. The reality is when I come to the Bible, I don't come to the Bible receiving it as the way it was written. It's said oftentimes that history is written by the winners but not the Bible. The Bible is consistently speaking from below. The Bible is speaking specifically from the perspective of the overlooked, the poor, the oppressed, the occupied. Here's the big word, from the perspective of those who are suffering. The Bible speaks forth a message that's considered the good news So in short, let me just ask you right now, get out of your spiritual sentiment right now and away from the Bible even for a minute. If somebody came to you today in the situation you're in and said, I have great news, what immediately would come into your mind that would be news for you that's great, Think about that for a minute. If somebody came to you today, I have great news, 2 p.m. today, I have great news. For me, it may be the Broncos one, right? Um, I have great, what would that great news be? It's not the same thing for every human being that exists. I guarantee you right now, I have great news to those in Aleppo would be your city's been liberated There will no longer be any bombing. That's very different than me saying the Broncos won. Very, very different. The gospel that comes in, that the message that comes in through the Bible is great news. And the gospel is fundamentally for a very specific group of people. The gospel is for the sufferers. The gospel is for those who are Suffering. As we move into this passage today, we see Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, you may only know from Christmas hymns. It's comfort. Why did Israel need to be comforted? Because they were the occupied in many ways. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire. In this passage that we move into today, there's a woman named Anna, and Anna is waiting. She is to touch those and speak to those in praying for those who are waiting for redemption, who are waiting for liberation because they're under suffering, because they're experiencing suffering. Waiting is a place where suffering has become a way of life. You know that's what the word advent means, is waiting. My kids right now in Christmas Truth be told, misunderstand Christmas because what they're waiting for is more stuff. Not necessarily waiting in the midst of their suffering for freedom. This is our problem with Christmas, fundamentally, is that we think about Christmas as peppermint mochas or peppermint hot chocolate sitting around a warm fire by a tree, all of which matter, all of which are gifts of God. But the waiting of Advent, the waiting for the first coming of Christ, who the Jews would call the Messiah, and the waiting for us now is a waiting in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a world of things aren't the way they're meant to be. And you know it deep in your gut. Even if you sit in this room today and you would go, I don't even think I am a Christian, or maybe I'm certainly I'm not a Christian. Where you and many of the people in this room who call themselves Christians agree is that you can look at the world and say, there's a lot of things that are screwed up. You can look at those who are closest to you, whether you work amongst them, whether you live amongst them, whether you're your extended family and go, there's a lot of people who are really screwed up. And here's another thing we can agree upon. If you're honest, 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 There's a lot of times, most of the time, you look yourself in the mirror and you go, man, how I wish there could be a change. So we feel it about ourselves, we feel it about those who are in the nearest proximity of us, and we feel it about the wider world that things aren't fully the way they're supposed to be. We may answer the question differently of why that's so or how it gets fixed, gets fixed, but that reality is true for all of humanity. Now, the Bible would say that's true. We live in a world that's twisted and distorted and not the way it's supposed to be because of a concept called sin, which is way bigger than just we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. It's also that we're not doing things that we should be doing, and it's a lot bigger than that. If It's a reality beyond us that we can't control and that here's a really big statement that we can't fix. The biblical message is that we are in a mess that affects us personally when we look in the mirror, that affects those who are closest to us, our families, our businesses, our schools, and our entire world that is so deep and so thick that we have to scream out to somewhere, help. The message of the gospel comes to a people And hear me loudly, only to a people who scream out, help. These two people that the gospel comes to are unique. And they're unique in the context of Luke, specifically because of who they are. A very old man and a very, very, very old woman. Simeon and Anna, very old man and a very, very, very old woman, as you'll see in a minute but they come as unlikely ones. The revelation of God comes revealing itself to those who are very unlikely. That's what our whole series is about. The justice of Christmas is to slow us down long enough to go. There's a bunch of stuff at the beginning of the Gospels today, at the beginning of Luke, that you and I read over and over and over again. In fact, Charlie Brown Christmas speaks of the passage just before the one we're in with Linus pronouncing what Christmas is really about, but we still don't slow down long enough to understand how crazy this was to the readers. He's revealed himself to shepherds? They're the dirty outcasts. Who would reveal themselves to shepherds? A king wouldn't reveal himself there. A king wouldn't manifest himself as a baby born in a manger. Laid in a feeding trough, and now he comes to reveal himself to two people who were oftentimes in the place of worship, the temple, that everybody would overlook an old man and a really, really old woman. So let's look at this. It says, And when the time came, verse 22, for their purification, there is Joseph, Mary, and Jesus' purification. According to the law of Moses, Jewish custom, you would take your child, after a certain period of time of the child's birth, you would take him to the temple for the child to be dedicated or purified. That's what's happening. According to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem, specifically as we'll see to the temple, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of... So what did they offer? A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, here's where the story escalates because it's the entrance of characters, right? If you're going to write a good story, it's character development. Who's the character? There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Now, stop for a minute because oftentimes we as Christians look at those who are called righteous and devout, and we say, those are the set-apart ones. But the reality of what Jesus does constantly is to say, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me understanding I am the way to righteousness, and you're going to follow me because fundamentally you believe in following me, you will come into righteousness. The word righteousness in the Bible almost all the time, is interchangeable with the word justice, which is the title of our series, The Justice of Christmas. Almost always, it's an interchangeable term, this man was pursuing justice, what was right, that's what justice means, and he was devout in following God. This man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. There's our word, the same word that advent means, the waiting. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now quick, use your eyes, look over this. Holy Spirit is used there, Holy Spirit is used in verse 26. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's what we must understand, if we're not just going to understand the justice of Christmas, but if we're going to do justice to Christmas, is to understand this. The Christmas story is God's story. He initiates it. He's the one who sustains it. He's the one who puts the characters into the scene. He's the one who appeared to Elizabeth to say, you're going to have a baby, John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way. He's the one who went to Mary to say, you're going to be with child, even though you haven't been with a man. He's the one who enabled Mary to conceive, to birth the baby when the one she was betrothed to is going, how in the world did this happen? Because the one thing I certainly wouldn't have forgotten is being with you, correct? Like, I wouldn't have forgotten that. That didn't happen. You're pregnant. This is a problem. She's like, hey, listen, Joe, it wasn't me. It was God. God? Yeah, he told me I'm going to be born of the Holy Spirit, right? How would that go over, right? Uh, pretty certain not, right? But God's on the move. God then enters this character as they are now to purify the baby. It says he is on a man named Simeon who he told, you will not die before you see the appearance of the one who, not will, just, who will not just comfort Israel, but who will save Israel. The one who hears the cries of the oppressed. The one who hears consistently the cries of the overlooked. The one who hears the unarticulated words of help. The Christmas story is God's story. And if you and I are the ones who deep in our gut, even when we can't articulate the words, are crying out, help, He hears the cries of those. Who ask for help. The only ones he doesn't hear are the ones who don't think they need help. The ones who fundamentally think they can fix it. But God's movement is always a movement to the needy. God is a, hear this, God is a pursuing God. Remember one time early on in my ministry life, Uh, I was still trying to figure this God thing out. Now, truth be told, I'm in the journey much longer now, decades longer. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But the one thing I realized then and the one thing I know now is that this was never a movement fundamentally of me to God. But something happened in which I recognized God was pursuing me. I sat with a good friend of mine one day who was going through tremendous amounts of suffering. He didn't know God. He didn't think it was totally relevant to him. He had had it around him all the time. And I remember sitting there at one moment and just felt these words come upon me and I looked him in the face and I said, Bryson, think about this for a minute. The God of the universe is pursuing you. And I promise you, if the God of the universe is pursuing you, you won't get away. Thank God Thank God, thank God, thank God that this is dependent upon his pursuit of us. Not primarily our pursuit of him. That a loving God is pursuing me. You know this. Many women in this room, and truthfully many men, want to be pursued. They want to be respected. They want to be esteemed. They want to be loved. We all do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to pursue the world, that whosoever would receive that pursuit would not perish but have everlasting life. God is fulfilling his plan by putting the Holy Spirit upon Simeon to move him into the temple. The Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 26, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. So you have this moment when God's on the move. Like, did God bring Simeon by his Holy Spirit into the temple for Simeon's sake? Did he bring Simeon into the temple for Mary's sake? For Joseph's sake? Did he bring Simeon in the temple to fulfill his word? Did he bring Simeon into the temple for other reasons? Here's the answer. Yes. God's always doing a thousand things in any given moment. Hear that. God is doing a thousand things in any given moment. It's like when you go to the grocery store. Do you go to the grocery store to get apples? Do you go to the grocery store to get pasta? Do you go to the grocery store to get orange juice or Epsom salt because of your stressful day? Yes. You go for all of those things. Well, God moves like that. He's always doing a thousand things in a moment. That in this moment, he was going to console, comfort, and bring a little bit more clarity to Mary. He was going to fulfill his word that he had spoken to Simeon. You will not die before you see the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. He was comforting Joseph that this thing your wife said about having conceived by the Holy Spirit is no lie, Joseph. I'm on the move. And as we'll see, it's even way bigger. And now Simeon begins to speak to us specifically. He sees the baby, takes the baby up in his arms. Many people would say at that point him taking the baby in his arms means he maybe and likely was a priest. And now he begins to speak. Lord, now you have let your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why could now he depart in peace? Just because he saw a baby? He saw all kinds of babies before right, coming into the temple for this very ritual. Why was he not in peace? Because he had not yet seen the Messiah. Why was he not in peace without seeing the Messiah? Because he was a sufferer. He saw the effects of sin on his own life, on real people's life, on the nation of Israel, upon the world as far as he could see it. He was not in peace, but now he said, now I see the one for my eyes have seen your salvation. We could write a whole book, do a whole series on this verse. That in this baby, his eyes hit this baby. The baby who had been wrapped in swaddling clothes and lied in a manger. He looked at this baby and he said, I've seen your salvation in seeing the eyes and flesh of this baby. Peace has come. The Savior has come in this child. The purpose of the baby is told by Simeon right here. The purpose of the baby's salvation, verse 29. The purpose of the baby is that he would come to all people in presence, the flesh, verse 31. That he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles in glory to the Jews. Now, Jews, what are Gentiles? Everything that's not a Jew. What does that mean? He came for everybody. This is the very thing the angels began to pronounce just before this. That he has come for all people. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for the Jews. No, for all people everywhere. And then he says later on as he speaks specifically to Mary, as Simeon says this, that he has come to reveal the reality of human hearts. That he will pierce your heart and that he will reveal so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let me make a short statement here of what the deep revelation was in Christ. One of the deepest revelations of Christ was that he came for all, not just for the Jews. That he was going to be salvation for the Gentile and glory to the Jews. What he was revealing is God never comes pursuing just an individual group. He's the God who made all the nations of the earth, who made all the people who walk the face of the earth. He's the God who loves everybody. And what pierces our hearts is that many of us, when we receive God, when we get God and we begin to think that our minds have completely comprehended him, we think, I got it, and they don't. I get it. I'm standing in the right place. The problem is they don't. The point of Advent, the point of the coming, is that this news is good news not only for us, but also for others. There's a poet, a Christian poet, um, who writes just poetry. He happens to be a Christian. He doesn't necessarily write Christian poetry. He's just a poet who's a Christian. In Christian Women, W-I-M-A-N, Women says this, one of the ways that we know that our spiritual inclinations are valid is that they lead us out of ourselves. You want to know if your spiritual inclinations are valid, they will lead you out of yourself. Just like God did, that he considered the needs of us as more significant than his own. That he will lead us consistently there. Now, now God reveals himself. The next character on the scene is this woman named Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Here's what's amazing about this last section. Follow this. We've seen this amazing, devout, righteous, waiting man, Simeon. And what Luke tries to do right now is to say, it isn't just about the powerful. That in this culture, it was all about the men were in power, the women were subservient. And Luke already has paired Mary and Joseph. He's constantly pairing man and woman, man and woman. And then he's building in such a way that he can articulate in two verses how this woman, Anna, one-ups Simeon. Not that The gospel is not for and not speaking to men. Clearly it is. But he's beginning to speak of you have a means of power and prestige in position in your head to think the men are the powerful, the strong ones. And that's what life is about is the powerful and the strong. So he reveals himself to a woman who's now considered and the only woman in the New Testament who's called a prophetess. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then she was a widow until she was 84. Now, let me tell you two options. He's revealed himself to a woman, and I said to you, a very, very old woman. There's two conclusions scholars will say about how old Anna was. One is 84, she was a widow until she was 84. The other one that very reputable scholars will say is that what's actually being said here is that the the typical age of a woman at that time being married was 14 years old. She was married at 14. She was married for how long does it say? Until she was a virgin, seven years. How old does that make her? 21 plus 84 years. That's her age now. What is that? If they're right, she's 105 So think about this. If this is a 105-year-old woman, the 105-year-old woman who's a prophetess that the Bible says has been a widow a really, really long time. Now, don't this isn't rocket science. She's also a woman who, it says, night and day goes in in prayer and fasting, is praying and fasting in the temple. Now, that's what you equate to overlooked. A 105-year-old woman is overlooked. The fact in this context that she's a woman is she's doubly overlooked. And she's weird, right? She's showing up in the temple all the time, praying and fasting. She's fasting, so she's likely very frail. She's on her face, but God chooses to call her the only prophetess, a 105 year old woman, which is even greater than the role Simeon would have had at this moment. And she shows herself greater in what she sees. She sees more clearly than Mary who was confused, and she proves herself to see more clearly than even Simeon in the way she responds. So look at this specifically. She's 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, stop. Here's what Simeon did. Simeon saw. He said, God, you told me I'd see the child. I see the child, and he worships God. God, to you be the glory. Then he speaks and says, Mary, do you know? Do you know what's happening inside of you? And he tells Mary and Joseph. Anna's in the very same temple. They didn't position it together, but both Simeon and Anna were divinely directed. They didn't speak to each other about it. They didn't talk about it. She's there. She sees this baby come in. She knows it's different. God reveals it to her, and look at what she does. She doesn't just worship God. She sees it clearly. She's a prophet, but she's not just a prophet. She immediately begins to, here's a word that's thought of negatively in our culture, proselytize. She starts evangelizing. She immediately notices this baby is not just for Israel. Simeon said that, it's for all people, but now she begins to go, I'm going to go to all of those who are in waiting. And look at what she says. At that very hour, she began to give thanks. Thank you, God. She gave thanks to God and to speak to him, speak of him, not speak to God, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I want you to see what God's doing before we close here. And we've got to really, really slow ourselves down to see this. The one whom Israel knew was going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. They were in eager expectation that a king would come, that help would come to liberate Jerusalem. To free them from all the anxiety, all the anguish, all the depression, all the uncertainty... All the tears, all the anguish, a king would come. But Luke is now speaking to us saying, you want to know how the king came? He came to a city, Bethlehem, which wasn't big enough to be named amongst the tribes of Judah, Micah tells us. He came and was going to be born of a woman who was extremely young, who everybody was scoffing at because she was pregnant, not by the one she was betrothed to. Even if she had been betrothed to him, it would have been against the law because they were not yet married. Everybody scoffed at her. He came to a woman, born of a virgin. She goes to look for a place to stay, can't find a place to stay. They say, hey, go to the barn, but there's not a room in this place, so go down where the animals are where it stinks, where the stench is terrible, where no woman would want to be to give birth because it isn't comfortable in any stretch of the imagination. Amongst where all of the animals defecate and go to the bathroom and feed, it stinks like crazy, where do we lay the baby? Oh, lay him in the feeding trough. And he comes as a baby? The King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who will liberate Not just Jerusalem, but all of the nations of the earth comes as a baby, revealed to shepherds. And now he reveals himself to a really overlooked old man and a really, really, really what the world would say, crazy 105 year old woman who now gets up to speak the truth. Our king has come, our liberation is here. Oh, crazy woman, where is it found? In that baby right? What do you think the people did at that point? Walk away and continue to laugh at her like they'd always laughed at her. She's nuts. All she does, she's never been married for years and years and years. Oh, they say she was married a long time ago, but now God is revealing himself to Anna, this very, very, very old woman. Let's stop this in understanding the justice of Christmas. Luke's Christmas story is full of surprising reversals, of surprising fortunes, surprising roles. He's speaking to us that outsiders become more intimate associates than family members. Simeon has become more intimate and esteemed to Mary and to Joseph because of what he's speaking to them in their anguish than even their very family members, in which women play a more active role. Luke's saying a more active role, so unlikely, an even more active role than the men who constantly got the eye, who constantly got the credit. Luke is speaking in such a way that prepares for one of his major themes that will carry on through the rest of the gospel of Luke and what he pens in the book of Acts, that the least, the last, and the lost are becoming the most, the first, and the found. The least, the last, and the lost are becoming the most, the first, and the found. Last, Luke portrays the rise of a form of faith, a form of following the one true God that would rely on the testimony of women, the least, the last, and the lost, as well as men. And at times, very few times, even the powerful, but he begins to empower the least likely. So here's where we end. Folks, two conclusions. If you sit in this room and you think, I've got it all together, you've got to understand something. God doesn't come to those who have it all together. I didn't come for the healthy, the wealthy. I came for the sick, Jesus said. If you don't need a doctor, you're not going to find one. We are a people in need who understand our need. And here's the other thing. He says very clearly, he came for Everybody. Everybody finds a place in the story. If you read through the gospel of Luke, everybody, when I say everybody, you don't speak well, he came for you. You speak really, really well, but are deeply insecure, he came for you. You are riddled with anxiety, he came for you. You feel incredibly powerful and you got to keep up your image and you're so strong and yet you're extremely stressed, he came for you. You're incredibly lonely, he came for you. You have family all around and people go, well, you shouldn't be the one who is lonely and yet you are, he came for you. You are uncertain, he came for you. You're old, old, old and feel overlooked, he came for you. You feel like nobody notices you, he came for you. He came for everyone to bring salvation to a world that had fallen into disobedience and our life is found in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible, incredible message of Christmas. God, as we move now into a time where we can still ourselves, where we can quiet ourselves, God, let us not miss what you're saying to us. You've come for us. You're a pursuing God. Holy Spirit, as you spoke to Simeon and you came upon him, God, I pray that you would come upon us and that you would speak to us. That God, where you go, we would go that what you say we would say, that what you say we would hear in the deepest parts of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.